Hello and welcome back to Nostalgia FC podcast with your hosts, me, Drew. And me, George. This is the podcast where we delve deep into the recesses of football and history and obscure football players. So each week we'll get on a guest who will give us their favourite footballing 11, their manager, their kit, their stadium and their super sub. Yeah, and this week's guest is none other than Mr Guy Clark. Now, Mr Guy Clark, uh, I used to live with in university, very good friends. Uh, he is now the host of the Blood Red podcast, which is the Liverpool Echo podcast. And you may also hear him commentating on Preston North End or Wigan games or any other games, really. He's a man of the people, gets around the clubs, great commentator. Big time. Yeah, big time. He's on the up and up. His Blood Red podcast is great. Um, obviously, it's all about Liverpool, uh, which is why today I'm wearing a Liverpool shirt. Um, <laughs> but you might be surprised to hear that Guy is not a Liverpool fan, which I'm sure he will reveal when he comes on. Uh, I mean, so, from the accent, you'd probably be able to tell he's not from Liverpool either. <laughs> no, definitely not. And without further ado, let's get him on. So, this is Nostalgia FC, and this is Guy Clark. All right, welcome, Guy. How are we doing? Not bad, mate. Not bad at all. Good to uh, good to be on with you, lads. It's, uh, I suppose, Nostalgia FC for the podcast, but a bit of nostalgia for us boys as well. Heading yeah, back yeah, to the uni days. There we go. Right, so, Guy, you're a massive football fan. And you work in the sport, which is obviously pretty handy if you like it. And we mentioned that you are the host of the Blood Red podcast, which is obviously a Liverpool podcast. However, as you can see, or those listening, I should say, for for, for those listening as well, yeah, I uh, I'm an Arsenal fan. Yeah, yes. uh, yeah, goes down well on the Blood Red podcast. Certainly this <laughs> this season with uh, with Arsenal getting a bit of battering. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, Liverpool play Arsenal, don't they? After the uh, yeah, international, international break coming up shortly, so. Uh, no, it's uh, yeah, it's a good bit of good bit of rivalry, but yeah, as you well know, I'm a, a big gooner. Gooner yeah. indeed, and an England also, fan to boot. Also, we love the fact that again, the listeners won't be able to see this, but the top you're wearing is basically the Arsenal top that our logo is based on, which is yeah, it's the bruised banana cool. one. The Let's famous... not highlight that so Arsenal don't come after us in copyright laws. It's uh... <laughs> uh, yeah, we it was just a, it was just a coincidence. We designed just... that pattern. <laughs> Yeah, you just found a pattern online that you thought, yeah. oh, that, that looks No, good. no, we actually drew it, and it was just a yeah, yeah. that actually. <laughs> I drew it back in 94 as a child, and then <laughs> held on to it. Till now. Held on to it, yeah. <laughs> right, cool. So, Guy, let's go straight in. Your formation. Uh, I've gone for a 4-1-3-2, pretty much. Four, so, I've got one, five, five defensive-minded players, five offensively-minded players. Very pragmatic of you. Well, I when I was putting it together, I thought, right, how how's the team going to best blend? And then I thought, no, all limits are off now. I'm just I've got to throw too many attackers in there. So, uh, well, that's, I that, did, that was the shape. I record, me and George recorded my podcast a few episodes ago where it was my go, and I segued so many players in just by going, oh yeah, I'm going to have three defenders and everyone else is going to attack. Yeah, <laughs> I, I nearly got to that stage. I nearly got to that stage, but uh, I didn't quite. Go on, George. Right, as usual, uh, we'll start at the back with your goalkeeper. So, who have you got in that guy? Well, listening to a couple of your episodes, lads, I realise goalkeeping is quite a big issue, isn't it, on the uh, the pod in terms of dads and people sort of playing in goal and, and this, that and the other. For me, I was a pup between the, uh, the sticks and my dad's not into football, but this is very much a choice related to my dad. It's David Seaman. Uh, first sort of footballing hero but my dad used to sort of take me to football and come watch me as a seven-year-old conceding sort of seven and eight goals and as the fifth and sixth goals were sailing past me 
with, without sort of any care for what people were thinking, he would just shout on to a group of seven, eight-year-old lads, Simon, Simon, <laughs> which now looking back, I, I don't <laughs> yeah. think in a PC sort of world now, he'd get away with doing that in front of, uh, oh as I say, God. minors. But uh, yeah, then I used to sort of be really proud, albeit turning around to the acclaim of my dad to then see the ball, as I say, sailing past me. But no, David Seaman for the ponytail and the stash. Did you, the did you have just... the ponytail as well? No, I didn't. No. <laughs> Any chance now? I've got no chance to grab one either now. He did have the moustache though as a seven-year-old. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as a seven-year-old, yeah. <laughs> now, a great player, David Seaman. Obviously, a quite iconic goalkeeper for Arsenal. Yeah. End yeah. of the 19s. I always remember him at the start of the 2000s, especially, always throws back to the 2002 World Cup for me, where he got lobbed by Ronaldinho. <laughs> Just seeing the ponytail flop in the background. Well, that, for me, that was sort of the first real... I remember bits of France 98, but the first tournament and when I was then sucked into football was sort of the 2000, 2001 season when Liverpool did their cup treble and then the first sort of World Cup um, in 2002. And then obviously the following season when we won the FA Cup and he pulled off that save against yeah. Sheffield United at Old Trafford. And, yeah, as I say, I was I was so, and it's the one thing sort of with the invincibles that I sort of look back at now. And Jens Lehmann, Mad Jens, like he endeared himself, and he was crucial actually to Arsenal being invincible. But you do sort of look back on it and think, oh, wouldn't it have been great if Seaman just had one more yeah. year and he'd been the keeper? But is what it is. He he won enough medals. Yeah, I was gonna say, yeah, yeah, he won yeah. Share, <laughs> he, he, won, he won his fair share, didn't he? A great keeper though, a big character as well, uh, David Seaman. Like you've seen him in his post football career dancing on ice. Yeah, no, po- no ponytail, which I was disappointed at. That's he the one thing. That's the one thing I wish he would just bring back the ponytail. Yeah, um, but yeah, he just you see, he's just big, friendly Dave, isn't he? Like he's you see him on Sky Sports or on Talk Sport. You're driving around in the car, the radio's on, and all of a sudden you just hear this big, deep Yorkshire voice come on. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, David Seaman. I'm, I'm reassured once more. <laughs> David Seaman was on Dancing on Ice. Yeah. yeah. Actually, I believe he actually left his wife for his dance partner. Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. he sort of. I think he must be the start of that sort of strictly <laughs> dancing on ice curse. Yeah, no, he did. Oh, Still married to <laughs> He doesn't suit glitters. <laughs> <laughs> no. Can he, did he? I might be completely wrong because I don't watch dancing on ice. He didn't win, did he? Or did he get quite far? I don't know. I know, like Drew said, he's definitely with his partner, married yeah. to her now. I think he's, he's punching as well. I'm going to. Yeah. They missed the trick if they didn't do this, where he started off with the ponytail and then they did some sort of ice rink move with the ice skate chopped off the ponytail. That would have oh, been. What's, what's that film with Will Ferrell in? Um, it's Blades of Glory. Blades of Fury. Blades of Glory. Blades of Glory. Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's a different no. film. <laughs> <laughs> right. David Seaman, great choice. A lovely goalkeeper. A very re- reassuring man, as you said. Maybe not to his first wife, but anyway. <laughs> Let's move into the defence. Uh, I've got a back four here. I'll start with the right back. And I was going to choose Cafu, just as AC Milan, Brazil, AS Roma legend, and LMA, LMA manager legend. Um, but I've gone for a... Uh, well, I, 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 I genuinely, lads, I don't know if he was a player or not, but he was on Pro Evolution Soccer. Va- Villani, is that his name? Villani. You know, the guy from the, the, the Master League. The Master League 11. The, uh, the guy who you would always have right right hand side of a back three or right back the guy was just a legend um i was more of a fifa man but my brother was a big pro evo fan and this guy when i used to sort of just jump on his xbox and just create a a league he was the last player i would replace if i would replace him at all he just sort of won the affection of the uh the hearts but as i say it was it was between him and cafu but i've decided that 
actually. Um, n- nostalgia outdoes it here, and and Delaney yeah. gets into the side. I, f- I feel like I feel like when you when you created a master league, none of them players were real. That's, I always feel like yeah. it was probably someone in the production team or someone like like they just created themselves in the team or something like that. Well, they never had the rights, did they? To begin no. with, no. Probably like Merseyside Red. Yeah, but all the players' names I remember, like the early ones, like with Pear Luigi Kalina, he was like the only guy they had the image rights for, and he was a referee. Was... <laughs> <laughs> well, he was on the cover, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But all the players' names were wrong, and I just yeah. feel like Master League maybe was an extension on that. Maybe, maybe we're completely wrong, and maybe he was a player, maybe he was a cracking French third division fullback, but he did my team. He's in my team. <laughs> I can't put a player. Here's a fun backstory for you. So I've just I've just had a little search on this. So he started off in the original Pro Evo Soccer and Pro Evo 2 as Valeri. And then in Pro Evo 3, they changed his name to Valeni. And then he became a car, a skill card in Pro Evo 2010. And then in Pro Evo 2012, he was one of the stock managers you could choose. So he's had a full a full Pez career and they've kept so him all the way through to manager. So he's gone through so to being a manager. There you go. Oh, that is brilliant. <laughs> Gary Neville, eat your heart out, hey? <laughs> Stacked at Valencia, Valeni, there he is. He can change name, change identity, still going. That's it's so weird that there's just like this career of this. It might be a real person, but made up. Yeah. I found a fan forum from 2006 where someone has posed the question, is Valeni better than Sol Campbell? It's a big question, that. Big question. I put him at right back, to be fair. That was where I always ended up shifted him to he might well be a centre half but I was gonna say if he can become a manager he can be a right back <laughs> he can do what he wants exactly get off Valeni <laughs> lovely Why choice he change his name as well I don't know maybe they, just, <laughs> they lost the rights to their own made up character <laughs> <laughs> Konami oh. just <laughs> scratching for names <laughs> sold off the name rights to their own Master League players <laughs> brilliant all right, let's go into your... Do you want to go left-back or do you want to go into your centre-backs? Uh, no, I'll go centre-halves. I'll do them as a pair. Um, never played together, but um, two iconic players, I think. Um, Carlos Puyol used to have a poster of him on my on my bedroom wall when I was uh, only little. Match Magazine, you know, the posters yeah. they used to yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they had like a Puyol one when he was... You know Barcelona? I think it was their centenary kit. 99, 2000 maybe? Like the proper baggy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They predominantly like, in, was like hanging with, over yeah, yeah yeah and it was like half and half I think or, or something like that but yeah he was in that and he was like a young player in the team and I think everyone thought he probably was going to be a bit ragged and not all too great and then a bit like I suppose without wanting to do a disservice to Jamie Carrick a bit like him where just that personal drive pushed him on to being a yeah, top yeah. player as opposed to sort of falling away but yeah he was unbelievable and next to him as so we got Carlos Puyol who's maybe a bit sort of as I say, ragged at times, but Alessandro Nesta next to him, who oh. was unbelievable. And uh, early incarnations of playing on FIFA when he was at Lazio, FIFA, I think 2002, maybe. I remember getting him and just being in absolute awe and just being like, this guy's going to be the best defender ever. And I don't think, like, we always talk about sort of Baresi, Maldini, these kind of players. I don't know if Nesta is maybe as, as popular as those if you know what I mean yeah I think one of his issues was that he played in an era that had Cannavaro next to him or he had yeah. Maldini next to yeah. him and then or Stam Stam and then he made it sort of like Benucci in the, the national side quite a difficult time to be an Italian centre-back I guess if you're not the best one you're sort of laid by the wayside 
Yeah, I was looking at it as well. I looked at his Wikipedia before, <clears throat> and I'm pretty sure his last cap for Italy came in 2006 after they'd won the World Cup, which at the time he was only 30. So, because I know he kept final? going for, for years, didn't he? He went, he went on for, I mean, all Italian centre-backs seem to. Yeah. But all of them seem to like play until like they're 40 even for Italy. Yeah, because Chiellini's still going, isn't he? I was going to say, yeah, Chiellini's still going. Who was the one? Bazagli? He was going Bizagli, to. Yeah. Juve just seemed to keep hold of Italian players until they're 50. And then, all right, got yeah, it. Exactly. Back. But Nesta seems maybe to. Maybe that's why they're not doing so well this year. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Maybe. Uh, yeah, Nesta seemed to sort of kind of do the opposite, came through as a real youngster, hot property type thing, and then just faded away. Did he go and play out in China or Japan by the end? Uh, I think it was in India. Was it India? Yeah, right. yeah. He went to he went to Canada first, to Montreal Impact for two years, right. and then went to Chennai-in. Right, okay. Which is probably yeah. not how you pronounce it, but there you go. No, probably probably not. But we'll <laughs> I, don't, I, don't think we have, I don't think we have too many. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to offend the people of India. <laughs> No. Yeah, Just... 78 caps for Italy, won the World Cup, obviously 2006. So he's obviously won a lot of stuff with Lazio and then Milan as well. That's how to do it though, isn't it? Bow yeah. out at the top, I've won the World yeah. Cup, I've completed international football, lads. see you later. Yeah, definitely. Interesting thing, because we've, we've had Carlos Puyol before, uh, it's the second time we've had him chosen, but since that last time, has anyone read the story that's come out about him recently? The one where he ran through a glass wall? Yeah. So, so genuinely, <laughs> he, I don't know the full story, but it says like Carlos Puyol showed unreal mentality after smashing through glass to get a tennis ball back. So yeah. I think he was playing tennis or something. It had gone over the cage and he ran through glass and there's a picture of him with his top off and blood all down his leg. It's smashing through a glass ceiling, isn't there? And there's actually running through a glass wall. But if if you would have guessed, if I'd have given you that story and said to you, what uh, now retired player did that, you'd probably guess, Poyo. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that underlines exactly why he's in my team. It just makes me laugh because, and he's in the photo, in the photo, he's topless, blood all over him, and he's still smiling like anything. It's just like, you are crazy. Yeah, do, do what I do and sort of. When you get to interview players and whatnot, they go, oh, yeah, for a manager, you'd run through a brick wall. <laughs> this guy's doing for a tennis ball. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got the perfect yin and yang of the centre-backs there with Nesta and Puyol. Completely different play styles, like you said. Mm. You've got the silky and the less so. <laughs> yeah, we had, when, we about, when we had Puyol last time, we were talking about how that Guardiola side, when he first came in, they had like Messi and Henri and all the greats like Xavi and Iniesta, and then you've just got this one absolutely mental guy at the back. Everyone's playing so charging around everywhere. He's yeah, just yeah. there chopping people down. Well, he, I think, I think he probably like in terms of skill. His, his best skill was probably that chop scissor tackle that is yeah. pretty much outlawed now. But <laughs> he would do it and get the ball, and it'd be yeah. like, oh yeah, it's absolutely fine. But no, I thought he was an absolute absolute warrior and, and beast in terms of left back. This guy. I've got David Seaman in as one of sort of my first footballing heroes and Ashley Cole is another, albeit. Yeah. I don't think you can be a football fan until you know heartbreak, can you? And uh, <laughs> Ashley Cole definitely, definitely falls into yeah, that category. Yeah. It's, it's one of those where I, I didn't want to put him in because he's Cashley and he went to <laughs> Chelsea. And my, my, my brother, who's two years old, is a big Chelsea fan. And actually, we got a dog and he named him Ashley just oh, to, yeah, just to rub salt into the wound. Yeah. Um, but... It's um, 
He's, he was just too good, just too good to to not put him in there. What's good about this podcast, though, is you choose him at a certain time in their career. So if you choose him at the Arsenal time, he never leaves Arsenal. <laughs> yeah, that so there is, you go. That, <laughs> That's the that perfect. You're going to hold him captive at Highbury forever. <laughs> I remember when we left Highbury and like they did all like the, the celebrations that have been watching it on TV. And he had like his boots from the game and after the game, like gave them to like, a young kid. And it, it, it felt like symbolic even at the time. Oh, I'm giving you my boots. That's it. I'm, yeah, I don't I'm need done. these anymore because I'm going to go and get some flashy ones from Chelsea. And <laughs> Rogan's right going to buy me a pair. Yeah, but it, it is. I mean, this is this is like one of the best things as well in terms of nostalgia. It's like how we all used to consume football. Like now you've got Twitter and everything's there every day and a transfer story can move on in the space of 24 hours from yeah. a bid to the players actually unveiled type thing. Whereas when we were growing up, it was like this actually cold transfer. It was like a year in the doing, wasn't it? It was having secret yeah. meetings with Jose Mourinho. That was sort of found out. Chelsea obviously got a, a fine or whatever it was for, for tapping up, which now is commonplace. I mean, Liverpool buy Thiago in the summer and there's all these stories coming out about Jurgen Klopp's had chats with him and he wants to leave Bayern. Well, you sort of think to yourself, I thought that used to be tapping up. But... <laughs> now, I think, it's, like you said, because of the social media generation, everyone talks to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's even, hard to fo- even football wrapped, clubs. Like this has been recorded the day after the Man City, Borussia Munch and Gladbach game. Before the game, the two admins for the two teams were having like a little bit of a Twitter, like bit of banter on Twitter afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> it's just funny how that happens now. Whereas before, you'd have no interaction between clubs, players, anything like that. They were like more rivals than, than pals. Yeah, well, yeah. Like, I remember as well, like after <clears throat> Arsenal won the FA Cup in 2003, and like I say, David Seaman was like one of my heroes and he was captain on the day, he was club vice captain. One of my mates at school was like a Liverpool fan. I was like, oh yeah, David Seaman signed for Man City, hasn't he? And I was like, what? Because like, obviously it was like an eight-year-old or nine-year-old, whatever. You're not into like following players' contracts and this, that and the other. And he was like, yeah, yeah, he's leaving Arsenal and he's, he, signed, he signed a deal for Man City. I was like, no, he hasn't. Got home, <laughs> flicked the TV on and there it is. David Seaman signed for Man City. I was absolutely devastated. But now I, I do wonder maybe what kids... I, I, I mean, not to go all back in my day, but I do wonder if you've sort of got 10-year-olds on smartphones just knowing everything that's yeah. going on as opposed to... Probably. They probably know more than we do. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's worrying for me. Yeah, I was going <laughs> to say, one of us works in the professional football game. <laughs> Blood Red okay. Podcast is going to have a new host <laughs> next week, lads. <laughs> then your old Jamie from the Wirral just replacing Guy. <laughs> oh. But with, back to Ashley Cole, it's obviously a very nostalgic player for you. He's probably, the, I'd say, the best left-back in the Premier League era. At the peak of his powers, he was he was the one of the best. But mm, I want to talk yeah. about a period when he wasn't at the peak of his powers, when he left Chelsea and went to Roma. And an iconic and photo about iconic. the iconic photo of him stood at the side <laughs> as far away as possible as he could possibly get from the rest of the squad. Am I right thinking he did one as well when he went to LA Galaxy? A similar I, one, or was I, there another I, one? Like another one? I think there was. Roma? I know. I think it was when he went to LA Galaxy, but I don't know if that one was a joke. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. of the initial Roma one, but the Roma yeah. one looks—I've never seen someone look so not involved in the squad. <laughs> but it right? happened. It happened at the ideal time as well. Like when we're talking there about social media, it happened like at that time, like when us guys were at uni and like Twitter was really sort of beginning to take off, and people had found Photoshop and yeah. memes were like David Moyes was obviously, I think, as much as a victim of not being very good at his job for Manchester United, a victim of sort of the meme and the social media, yeah, social media. world, because he just got absolutely torn apart. And that that sort of thing of Ashley Cole just popping on all the photos. Um, <laughs> yeah, it is, it is absolutely brilliant. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a rather large fall from grace to be winning the Premier League with Chelsea, being one of the best Premier League left-backs, Premier League defenders of all time, to be on the bench for Roma and literally stood... I think it was... I don't think it was the first team he was with. I think it was like a training squad. Wasn't it like, was it? Yeah, wasn't it like pre-season when yeah. literally everyone's there? They got about 12 trialists. and <laughs> He's just stood further... The trialists in the middle, like, oh, this is the best yeah. day of my life. <laughs> with, with, with Francesco Totti. Yeah. <laughs> you like you like to think that he just... They were just like, Ashley, can you, can you come in a photo? And he was like... Oh. <laughs> All right, because <laughs> he's sort of going the, up? Way, the way he stood as well. He's like leaning in. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, like he's looking to see what's going on. Like he's <laughs> just peering around the door, albeit he's outside, and it's like, what's going on? Oh, we're done. All right, okay. <laughs> oh, I missed that one then, didn't I? I think it, to me it looks like you know, like when you go to a wedding and the photographer is like really pushing. He's trying to get the exact shot he wants, and he's like, right, yeah. yeah if you just stand yeah. there and you look this way and look like you're lost, and Ash calls like, yeah, I'll do that. <laughs> Thousand yard stare, please. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely, right? Let's move out of defence. Yeah, into so you got midfield. Your one, then, yeah, one holding midfield player. Now, got two that I'm going to cho- two to choose between, but I'm going to probably go with the less heralded player just because I got him on the back of one of my Arsenal shirts when I was a kid, and I you should, you should have, I, I was probably like head of his PR fan club thing of trying to actually convince people he was brilliant. And we're talking about Ashley Cole as one of the best left backs in the Premier League era, and I think. Gilberto Silva is one of the best Ooh. defensive midfielders of the era. Everyone called it obviously the Makaleli role, but Silva, oh, it was between him and Patrick Vieira. Of course, he was captain of the Invincibles. But this is this is one of the great myths for me of Patrick Vieira. Brilliant midfield player. And I'm not saying he's a myth at all. He was unbelievable. But yeah. he was given that license to roam and get around the pitch and be all action because Gilberto just sat there and just went, right, I'll do the hard work, mate. I'll keep things ticking over. You go around and kick a few people, headbutt a few, and we'll get a few goals. And uh, yeah, I thought he was absolutely class. Yeah. It's one of those like unforgiving midfield players that you don't see as much anymore because you can't really do that anymore. I'd no. say a, a good comparison at the moment, probably when he's allowed to play in midfield, is Fabinho. Not yeah, just yeah. because they're Brazilian, but like that sort of style of play where he is that line of defence in front of the defence by himself. I think that, I think that comparison is... Bang on to be fair. I think he's probably the most <clears throat> like him midfield player since Gilberto. Obviously, Gilberto played in four four two, didn't he? Whereas now it's obviously pretty much three man midfields all the time, and yeah. you've got the sort of solo defensive midfield player. But I think if Gilberto Silva were to sort of have been ten years older or whatever, he would have. I mean, he ended up playing centre half for us. Oh wait, what did what's Fabinho done this season? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just thought Gilberto was unbelievable, and uh, that's a that yeah. In terms of just sort of going behind the the curtain of what I decided to to pop on for this with the shirt, I've got I've got this shirt that I'm wearing, but I've also got the maroon leaving Highbury shirt, and that was the shirt when I was a kid that I had with Gilberto's name on the back of that final year at Highbury, and uh, yeah, he was just he was just an unbelievable player. So so him and Lauren, the right back, were the most underrated players in that team who yeah. never get spoken about. I think it's the, the work of a defensive midfield player. They don't often yeah. get you always You always get those players, don't you, in any in any like world-class squad that sort of just go under the radar a little bit, which is unfortunate. Like uh, one of the best examples is the one that you chose in your streets would never forget team, Drew. It was Guti for Real Madrid. Goes under the radar, but probably just as, if not more important to that team. Than most of the yeah, players in it's that like team. a glue guy, isn't it? It's like a yeah, yeah. My my brother used to call it. We need a few rubbish players in the team. 
And I used to be like, because like, like I say, he's a Chelsea fan. And when they got Abramovich and spent all the money, he was like, oh, we've got all these attacking players. We've got, we got like Joe Cole, Damien Duff, Robin. we got all these players arriving. We just need some ordinary players in the team. I said, like, what, what do you mean? You're building like an all-star team. And then they bought Makaleli, who we'd never heard of type thing. And he's like, I reckon this could be the guy, but we spent 20 million on him. So he might not be that that ordinary type thing, but we just need someone who's a bit, bit crap just to sit in the midfield. And I was like, I've no idea what he means. But then you sort of realise what yeah, it means. What it's, it's means. someone to just do the water carrying, isn't it? Someone who, yeah. they need to be exceptional at that, but all of that stuff that they're really good at doesn't doesn't take any of the attention. Yeah, yeah. I, I always think, speaking of Chelsea as well, Matic is probably, when he was yep. at Chelsea, is probably that sort of role where it's sort of, he's not the all-star, he's not the one who's going to grab all the headlines, but he's absolutely essential to what, you, what you're building there. Yeah, it's like a Mark Noble West Ham, that sort of guy where he's it's always the there. That- this is the thing that does my head with, with Kante a bit, to be fair, because people say about him that he's one of these players who, oh, he's a defensive midfielder, put him in front of the midfield. No, put him in a midfield too, like he was at Leicester, and let yeah. him, he does that, but he does it everywhere yeah. around the pitch. And that's why yeah. I think he's, oh, all right, last sort of maybe two or three years now, he's not had as good a time, but no coincidence. He won the league with Leicester, went to Chelsea and won the league straight away. I think yeah. he was the best midfielder in the world at the time, but... Now he's always sort of just pigeonholed as a defensive midfield player. When I think he's a lot more. Yeah, I think yeah, because he sort I of got segued in that role for France as well, didn't he? Because he's yeah. playing alongside Pogba, and then they put Payet in midfield for a bit, and then they had other players filling in that gap. But yeah, I think I think you're right with Kante as well, because like if you look at some of the goals he scores when he's allowed to go forward, when he gets released, he can do yeah. it. Well, he came through as like a. Wasn't he like a left winger in France or something like that? And then Leicester bought him. <clears throat> First few games he played for Leicester, he played on the on the left-hand side. And then sort of Ranieri worked him into the team in midfield. But yeah, I think with him, he just needs to be have license to roam. He, he, is a, he is a sort of destroyer in the midfield and whatnot and wins the ball back. But he does it through winning interceptions and just flicking yeah. the ball away from people. But as I say, I think when there's three men in the midfield when he's there, it kind of limits what he can do. Um, but he's not in my team. Gilberto Silva is. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> nice, nice. There you go. He's a podcaster. Segway back in there. <laughs> Love that. Right, so let's move on from Gilberto, a great holding midfielder, one of the better yeah. in the early 2000s. And to be fair, ever since, he's been hard to replicate. Yeah, definitely. Next up for me is uh, sort of first person I really remember being world player of the year and before we've had the, the Messi-Ronaldo dominance that's now getting a bit boring. Zinedine Zidane was the man and what a player that Champions League final 2002 as I say that was kind of the time when I really got into football and that goal he scored against Bayer Leverkusen I've tried to recreate that so I'm left footed (laughs) I'm left footed and I can't do it Um, but yeah what what a player just what what a magician my my best mate um, at home uh, Lewis he was absolutely just besotted with Zinedine Zidane even through like our teenage years and whatnot. And uh, I remember, I can't remember, we must have been maybe 14 at the time, maybe. From HMV, I was just in there one day and I was looking at the sports DVDs and they had a Zidane DVD. And I was like, oh, what's this? So I'll get this. And it's literally, I think it was Real Madrid v Villarreal. And it's literally just 90 minutes of, you remember player cam on Sky Sports? Yeah, just with a bit of music on. And classical music, what else would you expect? It's Zinedine Zidane. Yeah, of course. And it, it was just like a 90-minute thing. And we ordered dominoes and we just sat and watched it. I mean, by the end, we were a bit like, 
was a bit boring, wasn't it? But at the same time, <laughs> we were like, cause, well, because for 90 minutes, he touches the ball, what, probably 20 times? Yeah. And half of those are one-touch passes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what a guy. Yeah, he's just one of them where, we've said this before, but like so many players base their game and their aspirations were formed after watching Zidane play that where he played. They were like, oh, you can play football like that? Cool. I'll do that. Like, he, and he, he's, he's like six he, foot three, isn't he? Doing Maradona yeah. turns, and you're like, mad. What? So much control for a guy who looks like he should be a postman. So that and it doesn't <laughs> look. I was like, just thinking, he looked like he should be a monk. <laughs> you did. <laughs> <laughs> but he, well, he, he, it's one of those, though, isn't it? Now, even with him as like a manager, like, <clears throat> is he? I know it sounds weird. He's won three Champions Leagues in a row. But is I know he a good you're manager? Say. Like, I don't you know. know. What I mean, like, it, it adds to the mystique of just the. Because, because, and this is the brilliant thing about choosing like players who played on the continent as opposed to ones who played in the Premier League, and certainly now when every game's on TV and you realise actually how ordinary some of the players are, but yeah. you just remember and you watch the YouTube montages of just the mystique of just every time they touch the ball, they're brilliant. And I think of that of him like now as a manager, all right, they're not having a great time now, but he, he won three Champions Leagues in a row, albeit he had Cristiano Ronaldo in that team and an unbelievable team. But when he was in the Galacticos, they couldn't win. They couldn't get no. past the last 16. And yet yeah. he he came in, didn't he, after a last 16 defeat, I think, to Wolfsburg or whatever, went and won the, the tournament. And yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, it's one of those things where like, it's not, more often than not, players that go into management can't go straight into the top and stay there. Whereas he did then left and then they got went oh sorry sedan come back please yeah yeah <laughs> like and the, like if you look at players like obviously if you use the lampard example yes he started at derby and he didn't do that good of a job there to be honest and then ended up at chelsea and then obviously it's not worked out for him but then if you look at players like gerard for example zidane they go in at the top level I'm not comparing rangers to madrid by any stretch but yeah yeah, yeah. no but it's comparable expectation to yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. yeah yeah but then you've got players like jimmy floyd hasselbank who's currently smashing it at burton Second time around as well. Yeah, exactly. So there's, it's funny how there's different levels because Hasselbank was a world-class player on his day. Yeah. Now he's managing League Two. Absolute powerhouse. Yeah. But like with Sedan as well, like with the manager thing of like, it's it's like an extension of his playing. Like Guardiola is a football obsessive. Like, oh, I had to sit in the midfield dominating the play. I was this, that, the other. I don't really remember him as a player, but no. obviously he's all about the philosophy and reinventing the wheel type thing. Whereas Sedan was just laissez-faire French, I'll just get on, give me the ball, I'll just do what I do, there we yeah. go, we'll see how it goes. And he's like that as a manager. You don't hear him like being like, oh, it's tactically this, this, and that, this, that, and everything else. And I think he works at Real Madrid so well because he's obviously been there. And it's it, with him, it must surely be all about the man management. I'm not saying he's like a French Harry Redknapp, but like <laughs> it must sort of be a, a case of like, he just knows what those, he knows what it's like to be at Madrid. He knows the pressures that they're all under. And he just goes, you know what, lads, you're the best players in the world. Just go and play. Yeah, yeah. There's also there's also that he's got such a cool head in the fact that um, you were saying with like he's very French in the fact that when when the ball came to his feet, everything looked effortless. It didn't look like he was worried about anything. It's probably the same as a manager. And the fact that he's not worried about anything, he's not letting anything get to him. He's not. He's just sort of cool, calm, collected. And like you say, that probably really, really works in Madrid, especially with how brutal the fans can be. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely, definitely. But yeah, he's he's in my team. Um, <clears throat> other, so I'm 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 going to kind of post him out on the the right, albeit inside, kind of inside right, um, of a three and behind two strikers. 
So it's like a 4-2-3-1, basically, but I'm taking out one of the defensive midfielders because Gilberto's that good. Yeah, I'm putting another striker in. So um, in kind of the 10 roll, actually, no, I'll go to the left first and then I'll come back to the 10 roll. Uh, on the left, Robert Perez. Um, yeah. Just, again, you know, I spoke about trying to recreate Zinedine Zidane's goal. I used to try and recreate how Robert Perez ran on the school playground. You know how like his feet were always open, ready for the ball, and yeah. he like just shuffled across. I must have looked like a penguin running along, <laughs> trying left foot volleys and falling over. Um, but no, just he was just oh, Robert Perez. I, I mean, I know there's the diving and people don't like that, but he was just he he was like the start of. And I wonder how he would have got on in like the the modern game where wingers are meant to score loads of goals because he mm. used to do that in 4-4-2, as it were, um, when there was less onus kind of on players to do that. But, yeah, just a, a brilliant player and always scored against Tottenham, so <laughs> worthy yeah. of place. <laughs> it is weird, isn't it? Because back, back then, wingers were very much there for the assists. So you feel like if they were playing in today's game, they'd be a central midfielder. But you're probably right. He would probably still be out on the wing, 100%. It'd be Because like you try and think like how... Arsenal like played because Omri obviously moved so far left. Yeah. And he then obviously came into that gap. So would he be in a number 10? Would he have been could a winner? Be. I just I I really don't know, but he was absolutely unbelievable. And as I say, I don't really sort of recall all too much of sort of the 2001 2 double winning side. I remember the FA Cup final with Parler scoring, but he'd missed that season basically through after doing his cruciate um ACL uh, knee injury and supposedly obviously the season before and or after initially acclimatising to English football he was like player of the year and unbelievable then and maybe lost a bit of pace but again in the invincibles and it's, it's one of those kind of sad things with Arsenal of how like we had the best team going and we were rivaling Manchester United all the time and then as Man United dipped off and Chelsea got all the money our team were almost like and after getting that Champions League final in 2006 and moving to the Emirates, a team like disintegrated overnight type thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you think of Jumberg, Perez, Cole, Bergkamp, Sol Campbell, I think all within the space of 18 months or, or two years of each other had, had all gone. Yeah. And you've still mm. not replaced Sol Campbell. Still not replaced Patrick Vieira, <laughs> Gilberto, Jumberg. I mean, we, we could be here all day. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and you'll probably start to cry if you do as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm close already. <laughs> one, thing I, one thing I think about Perez, and I don't know why I thought this, but for me, I always thought he was really old. I don't know why yeah. I thought that. Maybe just the way he looked, but like he's only 47 now, so you can't have been that old back then. No, because I remember, two, I think it was 2011, wasn't it? He signed for Aston Villa. Yeah. and So 37 at the time, and I remember thinking, crikey. Because that was the thing as well, wasn't it? Of like... and the, doesn't feel as though it's so much of a thing now, but it always, certainly like mid-2000s, it'd become a thing where obviously diet had become such a thing and sports nutrition. And it's like, if a player hits 30, oh, he's done. Yeah, he's and out. Perez at the time, I think when we got to the Champions League final in 2006, had reached 30. Um, I, think it, I, I think the story goes, he was sort of looking at signing a new one or two year contract extension and then got hooked in the Champions League final after Lehman got sent off and went, right, I'm done and went to Villarreal and had a nice time out in Spain, but yeah, an absolute icon for Arsenal at the time, Robert Perez, and uh, had to had to put him in my team. So number ten, then it's between Rui Costa of AC Milan and Rafael Van der Vaart. 
Now, Ooh, Van der Vaart, see, George George has got me got me out of jail here because Van der Vaart went to Tottenham and I can't have a Tottenham player on my team. But at Ajax, as a young player coming through in that team with Schneider, with uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Raphael van der Vaart in Match Magazine was the guy who, when they did like a European roundup or when the transfer rumours were coming out, Every time I was like, please be linked with Arsenal. Now, it was always Liverpool he was linked with. And he never he never sort of came. And then eventually, obviously, he joined Tottenham. And he was great for them. Uh, begrudgingly have to admit that. But, yeah, he was he was a player that I was... I think he was the first foreign player who I was, like, invested into thinking, I can't wait for this guy to come to the Premier League. Yeah. Um, and then he did. And then he did, yeah. He, I mean, that was sort of like five years later. Because so, I remember he went from... He went from Ajax to Hamburg, and I was like, "What's he done that for? This guy like should be playing for someone better." And then he, he obviously did go to Real Madrid, but yeah, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with. No, I'm going to go with Rui Costa. Nah. I'm going to go with Rui Costa. <laughs> I was going to say, surely not. Yeah, no, Rui Costa. It's got to be um, that Portugal team. Like, obviously, Ronaldo's sort of like skewed it, hasn't he? With just how good he's been. But like, when you think to that Portuguese team, like Figo. Ruby Costa, they they were always just lacking a forward, weren't they? Like yeah. everyone else in behind was just unbelievable. Held the Postiga just couldn't cut it. <laughs> just, Nuno Gomez tried for a bit, didn't he? But um, again, not not quite at the required level. Not I remember quite. though because that's when I used to play uh, Pro Evo all the time, and you, I always used to pick Portugal, and that was the most annoying thing is they just didn't have a striker. <laughs> yeah, no. everything else. Well, not everything, but Ruby Costa yeah. though. Oof. Yeah. When he was playing for Milan, what a player. I was gonna say, like in the mid-90s, he was obviously like at Fiorentina with Batistuta and whatnot. And nostalgia, obviously, for people a bit older than us will sort of probably maybe say that that was his best time. I don't really know. I don't really remember that at all, but I do remember 2003 Champions League semi-final into VAC in the semi-finals. And obviously both games in the San Siro. And I was like at the time like, why, why, why are they why are they both playing in the same place? Like, why aren't they playing it? Just didn't realise at eight that they shared the same ground. <laughs> and I just remember him absolutely bossing those two games and thinking, this guy's just a magician. Um, yeah. Well, his nickname is the Maestro. So yeah. he's obviously got that reputation for being a flair player. And he's one of those players where I think, again, Portuguese players growing up would definitely look at Rui Costa as a, like Bernardo Silva, looking at him now, very yeah. similar sort of styles of play. Like that, just free roaming, final third, like slide rule passes, nice little three balls. But there was there were so many players at the time, weren't there? Like Pavel Nedved as well, like at yeah. Juve, he was just unbelievable as well. Like, yeah, just but and and that's the thing as well. It goes back to that sort of thing of you not watching the players all the time, and then you seeing the clips. It'd be like a, a two or three year period where these guys were just insane, and then they just sort of fall away. Yeah, um, fade into obscurity. Yeah. To be arrived many years later on Nostalgia FC. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. why we're here. Exactly. Right. My my my, my strikers then. Um, Michael Owen's the first one. He's a uh, boyhood hero once more, falls into that bracket for England, that hat trick against Germany. In fact, my first football memory is his goal against um, Argentina in France 98. Um, and that literally the only thing I recall of that tournament. And then yeah, the hat trick. Uh, the hat trick against Germany. I remember sitting down in the living room to watch it. I've got a brother who's like 14 years older than me. And by all accounts, our qualification wasn't going so great. 
Kevin Keegan had obviously left and we'd lost to Germany in the last game at the old Wembley Stadium. I remember sitting down and being like really pumped for it. Like, yeah, we're going to beat Germany. And my brother just sat there like, guy mate, don't get excited. We're going to lose this. <laughs> and I was like, why, why are we going to lose? We're not going to lose. We got Michael Owen up front. He was like, they've got Oliver Kahn in goal, mate. He's the best goalkeeper in the world. <laughs> we, we, we literally, we're away in Germany. We don't stand a chance. And then obviously got a hat-trick. Even Heskey scored. And I was just absolutely giving it some. Um, but yeah, Michael Owen, just what a player. I have what a, a very, very conflicted relationship with Michael Owen. Oh, yeah. 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 I think any I Liverpool fan does, surely. loved him so much. I idolised him as a child. He was my favourite player. I remember coming home from school, going into the kitchen, um, turning the TV on, and then it was just there, Michael Owen holding the Real Madrid shirt. And I was literally just like, but it's, a, it's, a, it's another one of those, isn't it? Like I was saying about Seaman and his transfer. Like I remember having like, we didn't have Sky at the time, but I remember being at one of my mates' houses and like Sky Sports News being on and they were like, oh, Michael Owen's on the verge of signing a new Liverpool contract. And then like you say, like two days later, three days later, it was like Michael Owen signed for, for Real Madrid. Anthony, Antonio Nunes is going the other way. And I was like, what? Thought he was... Who the fuck is Antonio yeah. Nunes? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thought, thought, thought he was meant to be staying at uh, staying at Thingy. Why have they got this crap bar of LMA manager just rocking up? Yeah. Um, I couldn't believe it. And then obviously... Didn't he didn't do badly? His goal scoring record, his goals per game ratio was very good for Madrid. Not to not to just, the extent probably that Real Real Madrid were expecting. No, I think they they after he did his hamstring at Liverpool, he never really recovered from it. They didn't get his pace back, and Madrid, if anything, Liverpool were actually very clever to sell him when they did because he was he was on the decline, and then went to Newcastle. Did bits. He, but, I mean, his record at Newcastle though, before <laughs> he got that before he got that metatarsal injury. Uh, his record at Newcastle, I think he'd scored something like 11 goals in 16 games or whatever. Like, yeah. he'd come back there and was absolutely firing. And, like, I do, I, I'm like conflicted on my clone's career because I think, I just think it's such a sad sort of way it all played out type thing. Um, he came into Blood Red last year, actually, plug, um, to <laughs> come and have a chat with us because um, he, he did a book with uh, Reach Sport, who's like our holding company type thing. And uh, he, he came in and he was like talking about his career and he's like, you can tell he's so like, he's so sorry almost for signing for Manchester United. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I mean, I, I wouldn't sign for Tottenham. I'm putting it out there. I took a bit of stick recently on one of our podcasts saying I just wouldn't and people saying, well, yeah, you would if you got offered this money. But it's like, he had the opportunity. I think it was Birmingham, Hull and Manchester United. Now, this was a guy who was closing in on being England's record goal scorer. He was back in the international fold. He just got relegated. He wasn't going to be staying on at Newcastle. Albeit he'd had, obviously, the, the horrendous injury that he'd had with his knee. But surely someone else could have offered him a lifeline. Yeah. Even even Liverpool, if you know what I mean. That was what it always came down to. I always, every time he was leaving a different club, I was looking going, right, go on, Liverpool. Just get him back. Do a fouler. <laughs> get him back for a season. Let him score yeah, yeah, a couple yeah. penalties. And we'll all be happy. He Didn't he have some form of controversy about the whole Newcastle thing recently he came out and said that he regretted his moves to Newcastle or something yeah, along I those mean, lines yeah because I've got a copy of his book and it all comes out like a bit a bit bitter really with it was it in like, his book was it yeah it's yeah it was in his book that he, he kind of said it like he was sort of saying that I don't think he had the best relation he, he went there thinking he was going to have a great time with Alan Shearer and he didn't and then I think he sort of felt like everything was kind of spun against him a bit I think I think in a way 
it's maybe another one of those, isn't it, Tyneside and Newcastle, where it's a goldfish bowl of, like we talked about with Madrid before. I was listening to a podcast with Kieran Dyer recently, and he was talking about like when it all came to an end at Newcastle as well, and like he was injured all the time, and it was being made out like he had all these injuries and whatnot, when actually I think he had some personal incidents he was dealing with type thing, and he, he didn't want to speak out about it or whatever, but he was being told to sort of keep quiet and getting his reputation trashed by supporters and whatnot, or however the, however it was the story went but yeah just with Owen it's one of those isn't it I think in terms of moment in time that sort of 2001 year obviously where he won the Ballon d'Or um, and he was just unbelievable in terms of the other option with him it would have been Robbie Fowler who I suppose likewise got the injury as well and was probably yeah. never quite the same player he no, threatened to be um, but no I've gone for Owen over him and alongside Michael Owen up front drifting out to the right as Zidane moves in field is uh, <clears throat> Lionel Messi, the best player of all time. Oh, I am <laughs> shocked that there's no. Uh, actually, hang on. I wait for YouTube sub. Yeah, or or the flying, the non-flying Dutchman. No, see, Bergkamp for me, I was I was too young to appreciate him at the time. Um, a bit like we say about like the defensive midfielder and not kind of appreciating, appreciating them. I yeah. don't think assists are obviously now a massive thing, aren't they? But I don't think, and I'm not a match-going fan. I think any match-going Arsenal fan would have Dennis Bergkamp as the man. But for me as a 10-year-old, a striker who didn't score goals wasn't that an attractive proposition. And albeit he was kind of ageing at the time as well. But yeah, Henri, Henri obviously obviously pushes Messi close. But for me, just Lionel Messi. That, that 2010-11 Barca team that won the Champions League at Wembley is for me the greatest team of all time. And he was what it all revolved around. Yeah. Just yeah. mesmeric. Yeah, that was before he cut his hair as well. Wasn't it? So he had his long, yeah. greasy hair, rocking around, looking like they just found him. Like, yeah, you can play for us. But remember, he must have been at that time. He must have been like 23, 24. Mm-hmm. And I remember just before sort of coming to Union, whatever, in 2012, that he'd like broken the Barcelona goal-scoring record. And I was like, he's 24, like, He's broke the Barcelona, <laughs> like he scored over 200 goals and he's 24. Like, what is this? Um, yeah, just he, he, for me, Lionel Messi is the guy who, on all of the video games growing up, there would be like wonder kids who would score like unbelievable numbers and you're like, yeah, that's not realistic. And then he made it possible. Yeah. yeah. Like, he actually did it. Uh, obviously, Ronaldo's done likewise, but. It's one of those, isn't it? You're either in the the Ronaldo or Messi camp. I think mm-hmm. Messi, uh, Ronaldo's unbelievable, and I think he's pushed himself to get the the absolute maximum out of himself. And I'm not saying Messi hasn't, because he clearly has to actually yeah. reach the levels he has. We, but it's we've that always said it on this grace. podcast. It's like Messi is the more natural, yeah, of the two. Yeah, definitely. I think even being a United fan, I can say that it's sort of he he it just everything comes easily to him. And like you say, he definitely worked at it as much as Ronaldo did, but it's so amazing to watch him play, isn't it? Yeah. Even the amount of times he sat down Manuel Almunia and just flicked it over him. <laughs> the one that I always Champions think, whenever I think of Messi, I always just think of poor Jerome Boateng in the Champions League where yeah. he just oh, chains yeah. him inside out and you can see the exact moment where Jerome Boateng's soul leaves his body. He's like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. body experience looking down at himself. Oh, God, that's my career. Stop, yeah. The, the only thing with, with Boateng in that situation, in my head, it's like, yeah, that's just happened to you, but it is messy that's done it. So yeah. it's sort of like a saving grace. If it was any anyone else, it would have been like, oh, God, no. Yeah, yeah but it's no, just messy. It's sort of like, yeah. It's interesting to see with Messi, like the, the changing of his role at Barcelona. Like this season, obviously, Barcelona got a relatively young squad now. 
in terms yeah. of like Pedri and Ricky Pooge and different players coming through. And it just, you'd think Messi, having played with Neymar, Suarez and all the greats that have come and gone, he's now sort of like, apart from Busquets and PK, like the last one standing almost. Yeah. But he actually seems to be enjoying himself now. He's like, oh, these kids are all right. He's having a good time. Just well, like early them, part of the wholesome. season, he was just scoring penalties, wasn't he? Like yeah. scoring loads of penalties and getting his goal count up like that. But now he's he's he is scoring more and more, and he's he's beginning to score like the non like the thing for me that was always unbelievable about Messi was he always scored those dinked finishes, the curls from the edge <laughs> of the box, the free kicks. Yeah. Never blasted them in, but now he's even yeah. adding that. He's just, I saw one at the weekend where he's just absolutely yeah, thrashed at it. Um, but he's just that's the thing with him as well. I think with Messi, like. You'd think for such a little guy, he'd have to cock his leg back pretty far to get the power in. But he'd, yeah. he's like doing like one inch punches as a shot, if you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. he doesn't move very far, but the, the ball's like 20 miles, 25 miles per hour in the back of the net already. It's like, geez, what's going on? It's like he's reinvented himself into a yeah, isn't it? Just yeah. bang <laughs> off that left boot. But yeah, you, no. you, uh, you mentioned earlier, this is quite an interesting thing I saw the other day about um, the fact that. Messi and Ronaldo are just like almost sharing the Ballon d'Or every single year that's going to one of them. This year is the first year since 2000 and I think it was four or five season that Messi or Ronaldo won't be in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Yeah, it's unreal, isn't it? Which that, that in itself is just an unreal start. <laughs> no, everyone's sort of saying it, aren't they? Like, like it's a changing of the guard with Mbappe and Holland yeah. coming in. Which I, I completely agree with, and I see the sense in that. But I wonder if those guys are going to be able to have the longevity at the top. Yeah. You've got to think in the time that Messi and Ronaldo have dominated, we've had some unbelievable players. Yeah. Iniesta, Modric, who did obviously get an award, um, Neymar, who flatters to deceive, Eden Hazard, even who's had the odd season before resting and then coming back the next season type thing. But there's been some unbelievable players who sort of missed out on awards that you think, I wonder now if we are now just going to be into another domination of yeah. two players. And I wonder if there's going to be that sort of rivalry of people of, oh, you're either... Because I think Messi and Ronaldo are so different that people are sort of forced to yeah. choose what yeah. do you prefer. Whereas Holland and Mbappe are kind of different. Like Holland is an out-and-out goal scorer. Mbappe is a lethal player, but plays absolutely anywhere. And I think yeah. you can sort of appreciate both, if that makes sense. Hmm. I feel like as well, the different well, the differences there with like Messi started at Barca and never left. So he was always at the top. Yeah. And then Ronaldo, apart from Sporting Lisbon, when he went to United, they were at the top. When he went to Madrid, they're at the top. Whereas at Juve, they're at the top of Italy. So he's never played below like elite level whereas yeah, yeah, yeah. no offence to Red Bull Salzburg or to Monaco they weren't that level when Mbappe yeah, and Haaland started yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. yeah so th I think that that's the comparison that will always be hard to make because Messi and Ronaldo did it for the best teams in the world whereas Haaland and Mbappe aren't necessarily doing that no, yes they're no, scoring no, goals but until they're doing it they're the very pinnacle of football it's going to be hard to compare no definitely definitely one thing on this strike force I don't think you're getting many uh, crosses into the box, are you? The smallest strike force in the world. I don't, to be fair, mate, to be fair, with Zidane, Rui Costa and Perez, I don't think I need crosses. No, that's true. Through balls go all there. Um, yeah. And also, just <laughs> that that attacking five is terrifying. It is, isn't it? <laughs> like, yeah. Absolutely like... terrifying. Imagine, imagine. I don't know why I'm choosing him out of everyone, but imagine David Luiz looking at that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, can, like... I can set them up. Yeah, yeah Granite Shaka, pass me the ball. Yeah, 
I, uh, <laughs> that's the thing. You've got Owen, who's the penalty box guy. As I say, I'd have Messi. Maybe, maybe it's a four, four one, four one. Really, maybe Messi out on the right, um, Zidane and, and Rui Costa, two number tens in there, and then Perez mm. on the left and Owen up top. However, you want to sort of reconfigure it or whatever. But yeah, you see them five guys lined up in front of you, and you're a defender. And you're just going, oh, nope. Uh, nope. It's one of those in terms of the fear. It's, it's like when we <laughs> used to play student union league crew. And oh, all yeah. of a sudden, I'm told, I, I rock up, guy, you're playing left back. Sound all right. Look up, he's playing right wing for them. Oh, Joe Lolly. Who's he? Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, so, oh yeah, he's just a forest now. Yeah. <laughs> that was the worst experience <laughs> of my life. <laughs> that, the reverse of that, when he played for us, was the best experience of my life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Right, well, that is a lovely little team. Not as many Arsenal players as I was anticipating. I thought you, really? I thought you'd segue more in there. No, the Arsenal dominance comes in now. Ah, all right ah, then. Right, okay. let's get on to the sub then. Super sub <laughs> is in terms of moments and whatnot. I've gone for Theo Walcott brackets Champions League edition. All there right. was a period when he ran away from you guys at Anfield, when he used to come off the bench and tear up Barcelona annually. I think I'm probably thinking 2007 to 2009 time, probably. Yeah, when he was still sort of trying to find exactly what he was, but in the Champions League knockout stages, he just seemed, he just seemed to come on every time, and just final fifteen minutes changed the game. Yeah, I loved Fear Walcott growing up. I actually had a poster of Fear Walcott on my wall. It was like a, a it was like a Nike poster where it was like loads of speeding signs and just Theo Walcott stood next to them. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah he's like quick, that. I get it. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. like. Like, I remember that game in the Champions League because I, I do think Liverpool won that game still. Yeah, they did, yeah. But yeah, thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I remember Walcott running and then like Jamie Carragher's looking next to him jogging like, yeah, no, I'm not getting you. <laughs> it was like he was doing the hurdles on halfway. I don't know who would have been in your, your midfield at the time. Um, but there was a, a tackle he rode on halfway, like hurdled it. And then like you say, ran past like Hippier and I think he was playing left back, maybe Reese I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, he just ran down to the byline. Cut it back for Ali Bayor. Thank you very much. I think we lost 4 2, like you say. But um, I actually, this is a strange after. coincidence. I think Liverpool are actually wearing the shirt that I'm wearing. Yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember with Theo, he was probably one of the most wet year, you know, when they released the team for like the, was it World Cup? Yeah, 2006. And he was the most yeah. shocking, like, person in that. And I don't think I've ever, we've ever had anything where everyone's gone, who? Yeah. Before. No, I think you're right there because like we signed. I remember we signed him from uh, Southampton for 12 million, mm. and again it was like Arsenal, Liverpool, and Chelsea all going for him. And my brother again was like, "Oh yeah, we're going to sign that lad from Southampton. He, he, he's never going to choose Arsenal, is he?" And I was like, "No, he will. He'll come to Arsenal." And he came to <laughs> us. And then Wenger, like, as soon as we signed him, was like, "Oh yeah, he, he's for the reserves." And it was like 12 million we paid for him, or five rising to 12, which was so much. And this guy was like the hottest property around. And it was like, yeah, he's going to be in the reserves till next season. It was like, well, we're not even going to see him. And then, like you say, World Cup squad's announced. Theo Walcott's in it. You're like, he's not played football for six months. And when he did play, he was playing for Southampton, who were, I think, battling relegation in the championship. Yeah. I think it's one of those players where the potential was always there, but he's never quite reached the pinnacle, like what he could have been. I know you said he like could have been a the Champions League version was lovely. Yeah, but I think that's the thing. He sort of struggled with his position. Was he a winger? Was he a second striker? Yeah. Was he a striker? Was he injured I, all the time? Yes. The thing, the, <laughs> the thing for me, I think he was. I think he was a, a centre forward, but I think maybe and you, like he does interviews and whatnot now. Like he was on the 
podcast with Peter, Peter Crouch's podcast not so long ago. And he's just such a polite, nice guy. Yeah. And really well spoken brought, guy, isn't he? Yeah. I remember he brought a book out, um, which I don't really like when players do mid career type thing, but he brought one out like 2012 time. I remember him writing in the book about how like Robin Van Persie would hammer him in the changing room if he didn't get a cross in and whatnot. And he's like, yeah, he's got that winning mentality. And I, I think that's maybe just what Walcott lacked. I think he's got yeah. to the top through purely being such a brilliant player. But some of those players have that nasty streak that just adds that 10, 15%. Yeah. yeah. And like there's stories of him being in that World Cup squad in 2006 with a camcorder just walking around filming everyone. And he talks about like when he arrived at Arsenal and he was just like jaw on the floor being in the changing room, Thierry Henry is hero. And I think maybe he didn't quite flick out of that attitude of actually I belong here. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe quick enough, and Wenger sort of always that, used to that, say that little bit of cockiness that a player needs, isn't it? Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Like Wenger, like like Jack Grealish and James Madison get it thrown at them yeah. all the time. Oh, it's a bad trait. It's not. You need to, you, no. you, you you kind of need to have that. But like Wenger always used to sort of say, "Oh, he'll be a centre forward eventually." And like it, every time it came around to a contract, Theo Walcott would put out in the media, "Like, oh, I'm, I'm not happy. I'm not going to sign a new contract. I want to play as a centre forward." Wenger would play him as a centre forward for six weeks. He'd sign the contract and then it'd be like, back out on the wing, lad. You're here yeah, for another four years. That's exactly like, what happened to, I would say, Chamberlain, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not too dissimilar, yeah. For me, he scored over 100 goals for Arsenal. I'll always consider him as a real Arsenal sort of iconic yeah. player type thing. And I think it could have all been different for him had he not got that knee injury against Spurs in, what, January 2014, when he came off the stretcher and did the whole 2-0 thing. Because yeah. he was finally playing centre forward. We were finally having a title push until... We went to Anfield and got absolutely humiliated. Um, never forget that. Me and Drew were house sharing at the time. And, uh, <laughs> I just kept hearing, our oh, walls were next to each other. And I was watching it on a dodgy stream in my room and Drew was in his room. And uh, I was literally 20 minutes in, absolutely seething. And uh, and Drew's just there, just like, yes, yes. And I'm like, oh, I could kill that guy. So don't worry, it was fine because I waited until the May. And when Liverpool played Crystal Palace and... I had seen online it was 3 all after being 3 0 up at half time. I just poked my head around his room and went, Not gotten so well, has it, mate? <laughs> <laughs> Leave me alone. Sat in the corner crying, like, just shut up, guy. <laughs> Carl was a bitch, innit? I love the fact yeah. you played the long game in that. You're like, it's all right, I'll, I'll have a good time. I'll have my moment. <laughs> there was more hope if, than expectation, to be fair. I thought they'd win the league. <laughs> if not for COVID, I would have been straight down to your house <laughs> when Liverpool won the league. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I love it. Right. Well, Theo, a lovely super sub and mm. often was used as a sub. So that's quite, that's quite nice. Yeah. So I wonder who the manager could be. Ah, <laughs> oh, I wonder. One day Ramos. No, it's not. It's, uh, <laughs> it's Arsene Wenger. Unai Emery. Yeah. yeah. No, no. Good evening. <laughs> Unai no, Emery. Good evening. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it's Arsene. It's got to be just an absolute legend. Yeah. Yeah. I- just a maverick, and when he came in, he was obviously we don't remember because we were all what like in our early years, five yeah. six when he signed for Arsenal, but well, even less than that, even. But the way he revolutionised the English game is incredible. Like the, the sort of philosophies he brought in, like the, the small triangles pass in, like everything he did to revolutionise the game is still seen now. It's one of those, though, isn't it? Like getting into football and knowing that the Arsenal manager was Arsene Wenger. Like David Dean's spoken about it in the past, like how it was Arsene and Arsenal, and he felt like it was fake. I remember being so confused, like <laughs> Arsene, Arsenal, like what? Like 
Did, do all clubs have a manager like this or someone <laughs> whose who's name is nearly the, the club? But no, he, he obviously he just did so much for Arsenal. Yeah. Um, and yeah, just couldn't be anyone other other than him. No, that's it. I think that's the thing with like with United fans and with Arsenal fans. If you have a manager for that long and you have so much success, obviously it's faded off towards the end, but it's, the amount of success you have with one manager, that's always going to be synonymous with with your memories of the, that club and that successful period. I think with with uh, Wenger as well, if you listen to uh, Wrighty's House, Ian Wright's podcast, a great listen. It's um, I'm not I'm not plugging it. I don't I'm not on it, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's very good to listen to. But he um. He talks about how the manager before uh, Arsene, George Graham, had a way of going about things and he was like a bit stricter and he was a bit more like in your face. And then Arsene Wenger was so just... So maybe you don't really see it from his interviews and stuff, but he was always full of praise for the players. Like they'd come off the pitch and he would be like hugging them, like telling them how amazing they were, like really like a genuinely nice manager to play for. Which yeah, I don't and, know, fam- and he famously person. like in... in- like half times or even after games, if they got absolutely battered or needed more, where is you think, like you say, George Graham or even Bruce Rioch, who was there just before Arsene Wenger as well. Arsenal having this long line of British managers and a proper British club, as it were, type thing. You'd have people flying off the rails and teacups getting thrown, Fergie hairdryer treatment sort of things. But Wenger just used to stand outside the room and just let the players deal with it themselves and go, well, you know, you know. And it... It's sort of how I always think. If I've done something wrong, don't need telling. I, I know I've done it wrong. So yeah. do you know what I mean? And yeah, just that sort of psychology that he brought to it, as well as all of that, the the physical stuff he did. Yeah, I think it's so very telling now when he when he come, when he leaves Arsenal and now he's like high up in FIFA or UEFA and they're like technical committees and stuff. And he's always on the panels of things and he's trying to change the rules of the offsides. Yeah, I like think that. he needs to be reined in a bit from all of that. To be fair, <laughs> the offside ones Some are a bit crazy. The, yeah, the, the offside rule thing's a bit weird. And uh, right, I what's, it, what, what's his offside rule? So his offside rule is flipping it on its head. So if any part of you is onside, as opposed to if any part of you is offside, so oh, you can effectively be, be stretching two yards further on from the defensive line. But if your heel is in line with the last part of the defender, you're onside. So you oh. could you could yeah, literally stand with your, <laughs> you could just stand with your arm out the whole time on the last defender, just waiting. Yeah. Staying on side. Yeah, that, that, yeah, I'm not with that. But um, with Arsene Wenger, like you always hear people saying about certain um, p- people that have like the footballing mind. So you'd say like Guardiola is one, but Arsene Wenger was absolutely one of them who just knew he could read a game. He could just, he knew what was going on. He knew what to do. And it's just like, it's so, such a talent really. Well, he, it's, sort of, it's like he predicted the yeah. Invincibles as well. Two years before we went Invincible, he said, I think this, like we'd, we'd gone the whole campaign unbeaten away from home. So he just comes out in the press and goes, yeah, I think they could do it in the whole season. And everyone's like, you what? What are you doing? We yeah, lost the title the next year. Yeah, we lost the title the next year, but then bang, following season, what do you know? Arsenal Invincible. You're never going to get as well, um, like Sir Alex and Arsene Wenger, you're never going to get that like manager staying at one club for that long anymore. That's just not no. a thing anymore, which is quite it's quite sad in some ways. But like, I don't think managers want to be at a club. For, uh, I think it's too intense, isn't it? Though, yeah, yeah. There's too much money in the game. Like the the owner owners or the owner groups won't stand for lack of success for more than a season. They just won't do it. They're just like, right, you're not getting as money, so let's get someone else in who can do better and get as money. No, definitely. That's why Chelsea have had 17 managers in the past week. 
Right then, onto your stadium. Highbury. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say there's absolutely no... <laughs> yeah. To yeah, be fair, no. much as Arsenal Manga predicted the Invincibles, you did warn us that the uh, Arsenal bias started at the Super Sub. Yeah, no, I did. I did. <laughs> uh, so you can guess what, what kind of kit I'm going for. But <laughs> in terms of Highbury, just like, again, I only, I only got to go once. Arsenal beat Birmingham City 1-0. And uh, you could see at the time, because they're very close, uh, Emirates being built. And I remember schoolmates that I went with sort of pointing out to me, oh, look, there's there's the Emirates that's in construction. And as a, what, 12-year-old at the time, I was so excited for mm. Arsenal moving to Emirates Stadium and thinking what a stadium this is going to be and absolutely brilliant, this, that and the other. It's going to increase the capacity, might incre- increase my chances of getting tickets and going to games, which it did. But I look back at it now and I just think Highbury, just what a place it was. And it, like Anfield, I think Everton might experience it when they move to Bramley Moor Dock from Goodison. Tottenham, I think, have kind of in how they've built that one-tier stand. And we've yeah. obviously not really seen fans in there because they're not that many fans. No, I'm joking. Yeah. We've all been locked down. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I think they're kind of going to have a, a new stadium that will have a bit of character to it. Um, the Emirates has come alive a few times, but we've been there now 15 years and I think I could probably count three matches where it's had a big difference. Whereas Highbury, like I say, like Anfield, like Goodison, would just come alive and they would do things and the team would pull off great things. Um, and the, the it was more it was more like a basketball court than a football pitch, if you know what I mean. Like how fast we played, how tight that pitch was, how small it was. The counters that we used to pull, pull off and move up the pitch so quickly, albeit Arsenal wanted to get the ball down and play expansive football, but it was the ideal pitch for counter-attacking football and that invincible side. And it was just absolutely, absolutely unbelievable. And, Sadly, of course, we've we've moved on and yeah. now at the Emirates. I think it's one of those things where, like, um, you compare the sort of design of stadiums. So, if you're looking at like the Emirates is like a, a bowl, almost like a mega bowl, yeah. sort of American style stadium, like arena, almost. It's an, it is an arena, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, compared to like the football stadium, I compare it with Wales. Obviously, I always bring things back to Wales in this podcast, but uh, <laughs> with Wales, they used to play the home games in Millennium. I I've been to a few games in the Millennium to watch Wales, and we never filled it out, and it was the atmosphere wasn't great. It's a, it's a rugby stadium, Millennium Stadium, yeah. or the Principality as it's called now. So then when we moved to the Cardiff City Stadium and we started filling it out, now it's one of the best atmospheres I've ever had going down to the yeah. Cardiff City Stadium because of the, like you said, like the basketball court feel where you're on top of the pitch, you're, you're so close to the players. It's just that different vibe. But it's it's like now as well, though, isn't it? With no fans being in grounds, I think you can really see the grounds. Like Arsenal haven't won a league title since we've left Highbury. And for me, it's one of those sort of marginal gains that you have that like Anfield for Liverpool you, Liverpool don't beat Barcelona 4-0 a couple of seasons back if it wasn't for Anfield and the fans and no, the effect that not. has um, and even and even go close for the title that season like, I remember those games against Spurs and Chelsea just yeah. watching it and you could feel the nervous energy coming through the TV but at the same time you knew that if there was a dicey period in the game the crowd were there to help get yeah, them through yeah, yeah. I always remember with Highbury it always had a different camera angle to every other stadium. It was always a lot lower, wasn't it? So it's like yeah, if, yeah. if the ball was on the further side of the pitch, and I remember my dad always used to get annoyed by this. You couldn't tell like how close to the touchline it was or anything. But I, I've been, I've been quite outspoken on this podcast about uh, like West Ham moving to the Olympic Stadium, Arsenal moving to the Emirates, Tottenham, like you say, have done it better. But teams shouldn't move. They should do what Anfield have done and just 
renovate develop, yeah. stands and de- develop do and make it better and just keep their stadium because it just seems yeah. the problem with Arsenal was they they, they couldn't with Highbury because it's round a load of housing they yeah, yeah they weren't allowed to do it so like I say they, they moved not far but I think like like Drew sort of said as well like they are all arenas now and clubs rightly so have to look commercially to how they can make more money out of these and have all of the offices in there have a museum have this that and the other and so then to fill in the corners and have it as a round shape is a lot easier whereas the old architectural designs of football stadiums of four stands for me mm. it's a more yeah. intimate setting isn't it yeah definitely um, right then so any prizes for guessing what kind of kit we're going to have now yeah th- there are no guesses it's a home kit but the year I'm I'm Caught between two, and because it's Nostalgia FC, I'm going to go for 2004-05. The red one with the badge centralised and the yellow trim down the sides. But it, the reason I've gone for that, and like I say, because it's Nostalgia FC, is because it was that T Total 90, T90, FIFA Streets era yeah. of yeah. everyone. I mean, Nike synonymous for it now. Everyone's got the same kit. It's just a template they churn out for everyone. Yeah. And that was probably one of the first ones of it. But I just remember like the badge getting put in the middle and like I say the little trim and the white bit over where the name was and the rest of the back was white. And just thinking, that is cool. Um, <laughs> And the other, the other one I was thinking of was 2010-11, but we lost to Birmingham in the League Cup final in that. So <laughs> that's, that's probably, I think, the nicest kit. And it's just sort of, again, when everything then kind of went throwback of just the most plain Arsenal strip you can get. But yeah, 2004-05. Beautiful kit. Yeah. That is actually the same kit that I chose for the Streets Never Forget 11. I chose the Brazil version of that kit yeah. with that trim. Yeah. Beautiful. But they had the numbers in the middle rather than yeah, it was yeah on the round yeah that was the thing when Arsenal revealed that shirt I was like oh my god are we gonna we're, we're, are we gonna have the numbers on the front obviously we had O two and O two was it and then I was like oh actually that's quite cool anyway because it's like the sir yeah 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 with the number in anyway <laughs> I I so O two yeah like seventeen two <laughs> yeah yeah I'm just getting sharpies <laughs> going around. <laughs> I remember yep. when home shirts used to last for two seasons. Those were the two days. <laughs> Alternate between home and away, yeah. chopping and changing. Yeah, I love that. You buy a home shirt. It's do you? I was going to say, do you? Do you? Do you guys buy? I mean, obviously we're now older, but I've not bought this season's shirt. I probably might get next season's one, but like, I don't. I don't. The idea is obviously people will buy, and I get there is people who do buy every shirt every season, but like, I think for the, sort of the average fan, it doesn't make you any more likely. To go and no. buy a shirt every season, do you know what I mean? No, I don't think so. I think I like Liverpool shirt this season, but then I, <laughs> I do. Obviously, I collect football shirts and I've got a lot of them, but I'm more likely to buy a random one now than I am to yeah. buy a Liverpool home shirt. I'm more likely to buy a Wales shirt, to be honest, because they last a couple of years now, which is, which is probably why, to be fair, because they have that longevity in them. But I think I find funny about like. <laughs> Adults buying football shirts. I just find it funny. There's like a 40 year old bloke with like a 19 year old kid on the back yeah. of the shirt. Yeah. yeah, I don't get. I no. don't get names on the back. I don't, the last I name I, I got name on, the on the back. back. <laughs> the last name I got on the back was Meza Özil, who, after he signed for us, I was. I mean, again, same time me and Drew were house sharing at uni. I was so giddy, and I was due to go home down from Preston down to uh, East Sussex the following day, and I stopped off on my connection in London. I stopped off and delayed my train back down from London to go via the Emirates to go and get an Arsenal nice. shirt with Ozil on the back. Um, Fair play for them holding the whole train for you. The whole train. Exactly. <laughs> so look, lads, I've just got nipped to North London. Um, just hold it. I'll be back at Victoria in about an hour and a half. Walking back with the Ozil shirt. <laughs> no, I'm so happy. Train goes wild. Look, at, look how that went, hey? 
Doesn't I am um, just, just talking about football shirts. I think I've I had one United shirt in the past like 10, possibly even 15 years, but I've had a stupid amount of Wrexham shirts because in my head, Wrexham need the money. United don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's more it's more that because I don't even wear the Wrexham tops that much, only if I'm going to the game, obviously. Yeah, but now Wrexham are rolling it, aren't they? So yeah, yeah, so, yeah they, they don't, don't need, need money. <laughs> yeah. But now but now I'm gonna buy the shirt and I will get a name on the back and it will be either Reynolds or <laughs> Glory Hunter. Oh, shut up. <laughs> shut up. There's a picture of me with holding a hot dog when I'm 10 years old in that stadium. Glory yeah, Hunter, my ass. It's, uh, Photoshop's good, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you. My biggest, fear, my biggest fear is people tell me I'm a Glory Hunter. Like, oh, I, I technically part owned the club before Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney bought it. So, so what you're yeah. saying, they had, to, they had to come and speak to you? Was it you were the man who was holding I was, I was on a Zoom call with them, Guy. I, I wasn't on it, I was watching it. He <laughs> <laughs> was leading it. <laughs> they yeah. were on the Stouger FC. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this, this is exactly what it looked like, except it was Rob and Ryan. You've got your kit, which means now we're going to go back through your team just to make sure you've, uh, you're happy with your choices. Yep. And then you can decide on a team name if you haven't done so already. I haven't, and I've no idea what I'm going to go with. But... Going to get to the end, you're going to, the first thing that comes to your head is going to happen. Yeah. Right, yeah. so we're looking around his room now. <laughs> Guy Clark, you have gone for a 4-1-3-2, which can morph into any formation you like because of the selection of players. Your goalkeeper is the great ponytailed, mustachioed David Seaman. Your defence, you've got the great Valeni from Pro Evolution Soccer at right Unbelievable back. Unbelievable The best player on the team. You've got Carlos Puyol and Alessandro Nesta in centre back, with Ashley, sorry, Ashley Cole yeah. at left back. <laughs> and as your holding midfielder, you've got the great Gilberto Silva. Unbelievable. Uh, right, your three attacking midfielders, we'll call them, and it sounds, seems like they can just sort of play wherever they want. We have Robert Perez, Rui Costa, and Zinedine Zidane. Yep, yeah. and then the smallest strike force we've ever seen. <laughs> Michael Owen and Lionel Messi with the super sub, who's also quite short. Theo Walcott, but yeah, Champions lads, League edition. Lads, they don't need height. These are giants. <laughs> Mentality uh, giants. And the manager kit in the stadium would have been no surprise at all if anyone knows Guy. We've got the manager as Arsene Wenger, the stadium is Highbury, and the kit is the Arsenal 2004 home kit. Nice. So, Guy, what is the name of this team? Right, I've just thought of it off the, the top of my head. It's probably not going to be a very good team name, but inspired by the, the Bruised Banana shirt, it's going to be the, the Bruised Banana Brigade. That's what we're going to call them. Nice, alliteration, I like, like it. it. Yeah. Well, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Before we let you go, plug yourself. Where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on the Blood Red podcast via the Liverpool Echo. The Twitter account is Live Echo LFC. Um, we just do everything through that account. But if you want to find us in terms of podcasts, wherever it is you do listen in, whether it be sort of Acast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, wherever we've got a YouTube channel as well. Um, we do all sorts on there, podcasts all through the week, multiple episodes a day. It's, it's effectively a podcast channel where we just put out a selection of, of podcasts for you. Um, and then I'm also on Twitter personally, at GuyClark05. There you go. Go give him a follow. He does some great little tweets and uh, also some fantastic commentary. Checks in the post. The Checks in the, po- nice in the one, post. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, before we let you go, 
obviously you uh, commentate quite often. Yep. And, and may I say you are excellent at that. You are a throwback, a nostalgic commentator. There we go. Well, there we You're go. You're actually one of the few commentators that celebrates a goal when it goes in. You have so, to. So, off the top of your head now, this is putting you on the spot, what is the best goal you've commentated on? The best goal I've commentated on? I've seen some absolute raspers this season covering Preston. I predominantly do Wigan and Preston, but in terms of best goal I've commentated on, I am going to probably say Scott Sinclair this season for Preston from the halfway line against Bournemouth. Ball played over the top, he ran onto it and just keeper was off his line and lobbed him in terms of just how far out it was. But Ched Evans scored an unbelievable volley at Mill recently. Callum Lang for Wigan thrashed one in from 30 yards couple of weeks ago as well there have been some unbelievable efforts but i'll go with i'll go with scott sinclair lovely can't right, be so a halfway halfway line goal can you listeners go backtrack guys twitter you'll find it you'll find the commentary of that it's <laughs> it's worth your time trust me he's a great commentator thanks true there you go mate no, no worries so thanks very much for coming on the pod guy it's been a real pleasure yeah cheers yeah. mate thanks guys all right so there was guy clark our first guest who works professionally in the world of football. That's pretty cool. On the up and up. Let's get straight into Guy's team. As he said, an Arsenal fan, which was very clear with some of his choices. 4-1-3-2, very fluid formation as we sort of cracked into it a little bit. It became many different formations, but yeah, an attacking formation, should we say. Yeah, just a lot of attacking players in there with one holding midfielder, really. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So the goalkeeper, David Seaman, iconic goalkeeper, Mostly for his look. And I know he is an excellent goalkeeper. Like Guy mentioned, the save against Sheffield Wednesday, which is one of the best saves I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like if he didn't have the ponytail and the moustache, I wouldn't care as much. I, yeah, I know what you mean. He, he was also huge, but I think all goalkeepers yeah. are, are pretty big. That's true, yeah. If you're So then to the defence, <laughs> a uh, fictional video game character, but one of the one of the greatest of all time <laughs> in Valeni. Everyone knows who he is. The French yeah. centre-back slash full-back from Pro Evolution Soccer. It's the most random thing. You start up a Master League, you'd like sign in big, big players, but you'd always have these random <laughs> people that no one knew. <laughs> I love that Konami, the makers of Pro Evo, thought, oh yeah, we're going to carry on his career like a legacy. And yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Game. I love that. It's so funny. Went, went on to be a manager. It's incredible. <laughs> Full circle for the Pro Evolution Soccer regens. Love it. I reckon he must be someone who like works in the production team. Yeah, I think like, so. Surely. Yeah. Yeah, you'd imagine so, wouldn't you? <laughs> it's quite random just to pick up, pluck a name out of the air of Valeni. I don't yeah. know many French people with the surname Valeni. No. I should point out, I do know plenty of French people. That, <laughs> I don't think that's a slight on me. I do know a lot of French people. And then moving on to a man who will literally run through glass. <laughs> if that's not a, like a metaphor for his playing style, I don't know what is. It's so funny. And it's yeah. like, we can laugh about it because he's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just like, and it was after a tennis ball. Like, I once saw like um, a description of Carlos Puyol, and it was something like comparing him to like a Labrador in that he just will run after things. And then if he gets, <laughs> if he's going too fast when he gets there, he won't stop. He'll just run straight into them. <laughs> and that that's but, proven with this. Yeah. It's like a Labrador chasing a tennis ball is Carlos Puyol. Jesus. Obviously, the direct opposite with Alessandro Nesta. Yeah. Like, just so poised is the phrase I want to use. He's just so, like, that classic Italian defender who's, like, hard-nosed, like, headbutt yeah, like, Cannavaro style where it's just, yeah, like, yeah, a, yeah. a mean defender. But Nesta was, like, the opposite. It's just, like, a... Is that the Perlo of centre-backs? There you go. 
Yeah, it's weird. You feel like he wouldn't be a centre back if he played in today's game. No, it, he sort of I, I, him, him and Maldini. They both started on the centre back and went to left back. I think. Mm. I think that's quite telling in a play style as well. They were quite similar to Maldini. He was probably the successor to Maldini in a lot of ways, but then obviously I don't think he would, he or AC Milan predicted that Maldini would play to lose 41. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> that was maybe what he was signed for at the time. But yeah, a hell of a player, Nesta. And it's quite surprised that he's not been in so far, as with the left-back. Yeah, Ashley Cole. A hard, I think a hard choice for guys, he said, yeah. uh, for obvious reason, Cashley. It, it wasn't a choice based on personality, I don't think. No, it was, no. A, it was a choice based on absolute football skill. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we'll say it was just for his Arsenal career as well, maybe. Yeah. Well, I don't count out the nine appearances for Derby County in the Championship. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that's, we actually call, like, that picture is hilarious of him with the, the, the squad in Roma. On to Gilberto Silva. <laughs> yeah. He, whew, talk about what a player. Yeah, that's it. Like people call it the Makaleli role, but Gilberto Silva was playing a similar time and sort of era to Makaleli. They both did the same job, just that midfield enforcer doesn't really go past the halfway line very often, but no. just breaking up the play, passing the ball out, the extra line defense in front of the yeah. defense, just incredible player. Yeah, there's not much more that could be said about him. And uh, like Guy was saying, like he's not the one who you'd probably remember from that Arsenal team as much as like Patrick Vieira um, no. and other, other fantastic players. But he he did his job and he did it yeah. extremely well. Yeah, absolutely. It's like in basketball, they have, they refer to them as role players. So you've got like your yeah. stars, like your LeBron, like your Steph Curry's, your, your players like that. But you need the role players that just have that one specific thing that you need to stand on the corner, you need to shoot the ball for a three. That's like Gilberto. It's like, You've got Henri, you've got Pires, you've got Vieira. Let them do their thing. You just need to stand here and get the yeah. ball back. And then he did it. He, and that's... He'd be a player that you know for, like, say, for instance, if he came up against one of the biggest strikers in the Premier League, they'd be like, right, Gilberto Silva, you're just marking him for this game. Yeah. He's that sort of player. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely was. And then he needs to protect well because he's not getting much help from the, the forward five. <laughs> Because none of them particularly defensively minded. But let's start with Zidane. Obviously, we've spoken with Zidane at length on this yeah. podcast before. A fantastic player, incredible, just incredible. Everything's yeah, just effortless. unbelievable player. So let's move on from from Zizou. Robert Pires, yeah, one of the best wingers in Premier League era, I would say. That that yeah. sort of early two thousands like iconic era of just Arsenal dominating, and, and he was a massive part of that. Him and Jumberg really on was. either side, just incredible. They were really renowned for their counter-attacking football, but when they when they wanted to, that front three of Henri, well, that front four, Henri Burkamp, Jumberg, Perez, just incredible. Yeah, you you they could even do do a job, obviously in their prime, but to the, in today's game, I think. Yeah, they were all so so good. Yeah, I don't know how quick a forty-seven-year-old Robert Perez is anymore. That's why. That's why I said in their, in their prime, <laughs> and that's that's why you probably needed someone like Gilberto Silva because you had like those players yeah but yeah and then the central stock mid Rui Costa he's one of those players that sort of goes under the radar I think because people go I think another attacking midfielder it's like Kaka yeah. you don't think Rui Costa yeah I was going to say and like uh guy summed it up perfectly when he said Nedved's name as well and like someone we had someone I can't remember who picked Nedved it was just it was just perfect because it's like they are fantastic players and such good players just for some reason, they're not as 
talked about or is remembered yeah, as others. Definitely doing it at AC with those players like, in a big was, AC yeah. side, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that obviously in the Euro 2004, he was a big part of the Portuguese side that did so well. They made it to the final. Like, yeah, just an inspiration to Portuguese players. Like, look at the current crop of Portuguese players, like Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva, Diogo Jota, all these players coming through. They're going to be so good for so long now, Portugal, because of the inspirational players like Rui Costa, Cristiano I mean, Ronaldo. Ronaldo will probably still be there as well. Yeah, he'll, be, he'll wait till his son can play there. And then <laughs> father and son strike force. So onto the, the strike force that Guy selected, the smallest strike force. I've smallest ever strike force you can ever pick, I think. <laughs> So yeah, Michael Owen, obviously, he was once amazing for me. And then 2004, just do one, Michael. Well, 2003, actually. And you know what? Thanks for leaving, Michael, because we won the Champions League the season after you left. So I also, I didn't say it in the main main part of the podcast, but I also have a hell of a lot of love for Michael Owen for one moment in his career against Man City in yeah. that 4-3 win, last minute winner. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> It's the only thing he really did at United, but <laughs> I tell you what, for that for that week, United yeah. fans absolutely loved Michael Owen. Yeah, I think it's, I can understand why he would do it. Like, if that's the only offer he's got on the table, then that's going to be yeah. what it is. But unfortunately, in the world of football, football fans are fickle, and if you mm-hmm. join a rival team, you're not going to be very well liked by the team you started at. That's just the. Yeah. So the, there's one thing that I uh, think is hilarious about Michael Owen, and it's a video of him with Neville Southall. It's back in the 90s. And Neville Southall is training a 13-year-old goalkeeper. Or 12, 12 years old? Whatever. He's young anyway. And you know what you're going to say? Michael Owen is like a one-on-one with this kid. And then Michael Owen, I think he must be like 20 himself, 19. I don't know how old he was. But he is just like scoring all the goals past this keeper. And then every time it goes in, Neville Southall's like, oh, it's all right, mate. It's all right. Go on, next one, next one. And then Michael Owen keeps doing it. And then he celebrates after one. And then Neville Southall just goes, well done, Michael. He's 13. <laughs> <laughs> I just love it. just love that he just lost all his patience. He's like, right, enough of this. Yeah. Hate you, Michael Owen. Before we move on from uh, Michael Owen as well, I won't go into his quotes, but some of his quotes in punditry, if no one's, if no one's heard them or seen them, Go search them. Yeah, I think the unfortunate <laughs> thing he's got as well, the Chester accent isn't the best accent. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, th- yeah, that's not bias from uh, a Wrexham fan and uh, a Wrexham sympathiser there. That's just... Um, <laughs> the, che- the Chester accent, it's not as great. Michael Owen has it, isn't the best accent to have yeah. when you're trying to talk about football. So, yeah. Anyway, enough for him. On to the actual best player of all time. On to another player that sort of trailed off and, you know, didn't, <laughs> didn't live up to his expectation or hype. Um, oh. oh, sorry, we're looking at Messi. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. Little Leo, yeah. the man, the myth, legend, will will go down as either the or one top, of the top two players of all time. Incredible. This is no question about it because he's played through like different eras of football and succeeded in all of them. And taken on, uh, like I think you said during the main part of the podcast, taking on different roles in that Barcelona yeah. side as well. Well, essentially at the moment, he's just like the dad taking his kids to the park with that Barcelona yeah. side. But like, still being the best. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They've literally just got a team full of youngsters like Dembele, De Jong, Pedri. Uh, Antu Fati. Antu Fati, yeah. And then like, obviously they've still got like, Jordi Alba and players, but they're, they're not as many the Star Wars that have been there yeah, yeah, forever yeah. still there so he's sort of like carrying this team but he looks like he's enjoying himself again which is nice because for mm. a long time obviously there's yeah. that big thing about him trying to leave Barca 
and all that controversy, but it looks what like does, he might stay now. Do you think he leaves this summer? I don't. I don't think so. I, I think you think he's been there for so long. I think family reasons and stuff. If you if he wants to go, he'll go. But I don't see why he would need to now. I think that the issues he, he had. He's going to end his career back in um, Argentina, though. Isn't yeah, he? from the sounds yeah. of it, Newell's old boys, wasn't it? Yeah. From Leo to Theo. Nice. <laughs> Thank you. Very nice. So yeah, Theo um, Walcott, rapid speed demon, and that's about it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a shame. It is a shame because he could have been such a good player. But like I said, he's not a bad player. No, he's still not a good, bad player, great at all. Premier League player. He's done yeah. a lot. But like I said, didn't live up the, to the hype. That's exactly it, isn't it? Like the hype was so real, and I think he wasn't helped by Sven Goran Eriksson taking him to the World Cup. Because I I read a thing that he w- he went to the 2006 World Cup and then he won the 2000 he won or came third in the under 21 tournament in 2009. Because obviously then he would have been 19. Still. Like he's still young mad, kids. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think obviously the, I can see the logic behind Sven taking him because if there was no one better waiting in the wings, then you might as well take this kid and get the experience. But I yeah. think Sven then sort of signed the check of if you're not the best player England's ever seen. You're just going to be like, yeah, a disappointment yeah. for your whole career. I remember as well when it when it first happened, like um, a lot of people were talking about it because obviously that was the big shock of it, and they were saying, "Well, was it Brazil did it with Ronaldinho? Like they took him as a very very young yeah player, and then he became the player he did, and it was like they're trying to have that mantra of give him the experience of a big um, international competition." take him along even if he doesn't play he has that experience of it and sort of but it just didn't work out unfortunately no, no. He, did, he did he's done well at the teams he's been at oh yeah he scored some crap goals just, and like yeah. he's had those sort of purple patches where you're like oh is, is this Theo Walcott has he finally arrived has he finally like, done it yeah but oh he's pulled his hamstring or like oh <laughs> Sam yeah. Everton oh well yeah but yeah, yeah Champions League edition of Theo Walcott yeah exactly it? yeah like he said that goal against Liverpool I still remember it when he sprints the length of the pitch like I said, it's a guy in Liverpool still win, but that's fine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that whole that era of Theo Walcott, obviously, guy knows better than us, but he did more in the Champions League than he did anywhere else. So, fair play, which is hard yeah. to do. So, that's a, that's a sign of a good player if you're doing Champions League. And then on to the, the three <laughs> Arsenal biases here. Arsene Wenger is the manager. Yeah. Library is the stadium. Yeah. 2004-2005 Arsenal kit. Yeah. All very predictable. Um, guy made no secret of the fact that he's an Arsenal fan and that he was going to introduce some Arsenal bias somewhere. He waited till the very end, but there it was. Plain to see. Yeah. As to be expected. You can't blame him. <laughs> no, absolutely not. No, like like you said, it's we always say it, home ground is always going to be someone's favourite ground with a manager as well. Like I said, with if you've got a manager for that long, it's going to be hard to choose another manager because you've only seen relative success with that manager. So yes, like United now, since Ferguson's left, they've had like four managers and now they're doing yeah. pretty well now, but and they've won a few trophies along the way, but they've never never reached the heights that they were no. at under Fergie. And Arsenal haven't with Arsene Wenger, having been gone. And they've had three managers since, you know, it's it's one of those things where I've seen it as a Liverpool fan my whole life, where we've just chopped and changed managers. Yes, one does well for a little bit, but then eventually they drop off and then we get a new manager. I was always envious of United and Arsenal, but I always knew one day their day would come where they were chopping change of managers and they were having issues with the managers. 
it was always going to happen after those two left. Yeah, exactly. Because like, how... you're not going to you're not going to have them two leave and then go straight into another world class manager. You're always no. going to have that like transition period. And that's the thing as well. Then then you're being held to the same standard that the manager who was there for twenty yeah. years and has pretty much control over every facet of the club. And then you come in and, and think... try and stamp your own thing on it. It's just not going to work. I think I saw something recently with both Arsene Wenger and Sir Alex where the start of their careers at those clubs wasn't like, they weren't winning leagues and winning titles and whatever. It was like the start of them, they had to build those clubs up. Yeah. That's which, what I as about we said. Actually. Yeah, they, like Alex Ferguson was like one game away from being sacked at United, then he won yeah. 1-0 or something like that. Yeah, he didn't have a good start to, to his uh, career at United. So it's like, you need to give managers time, but in this day and age, at the same time, you don't have that that luxury no, of give, being given time especially with everyone um, having money nowadays it's not like it used yeah. to be where like the top six would have money and everyone else would sort of just pick up the scraps now everyone has money mm. if you're if you sleep for a season everyone else is going to catch up <laughs> and then a good name for the for the team bruised banana brigade based on the shirt that we actually have based our own logo off of <laughs> so that was nice I, it was just a coincidence so there we go. That's another podcast wrapped up. Our first professional football guest. A big thanks mm. again for Guy to coming on to the podcast and joining us. Remember to check him out on the Blood Red podcast. They release things quite often. Well, most days, actually. Mm. Um, it is heavily Liverpool FC content because it is released by the Liverpool Echo. Uh, and it is the <laughs> Liverpool podcast. But uh, it is definitely worth checking out. Uh, it's a great little podcast. I do listen to it on the regular and also, if you ever happen to be watching a Preston North End or a Wigan Athletic game on their own personal players, you will hear Gunnar's voice. Cockney guy. <laughs> That's it. But yeah, and like, like Guy said, go follow him on Twitter, GuyClark05. Uh, he does tweet some interesting facts and uh, some little clips of him doing his commentary. So yeah, that was Guy Clark. So remember, if you want to give us a follow on any of the socials, we are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and we also have an email, which is... Uh, nostalgiafcpod at gmail.com thank you one day I'll learn that um, <laughs> so remember to go give us a follow um, we post little videos clips uh, pictures little quizzes all, all, all the fun stuff and if the podcast provider you're listening to us on has the function to rate and review please do so it really does help us get along into the algorithms and uh, helps us boost the brand of the pod so if you can't give us a re- review please do Thanks very much for listening, guys. Tune in next week where we'll have another guest with another team ready to be dissected by us and obviously you, the listener. That was Guy Clark delivering Bruised Banana Brigade and what a team it was. And what a team it was. For me, Skulls is one of the biggest myths of all time. Oh! <laughs> no, like, I'm not having it like he was the best midfielder at the time. Really? Like,